Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So sometimes you guys use the uh, use the text line uh, to bless me. That's super nice. So uh, you can you know you can always text me during the program at eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four, and you can always email me Carmen at myfaithradio.com. So let me uh, return the blessing to a listener who just blessed me over the text line. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. What might life be like in our homes, in our places of work, in the communities where we live, in our own congregations, uh, in the culture writ large, if we were people who spoke blessing over one another? What, what might that be like? What might it be like today um, if instead of a uh, sort of Southern, oh, well, bless her heart, uh, sarcastic spirit, we actually had a blessing spirit, a spirit of blessing, like that we were actually speaking blessing over one another. I mean, what, what might it be like today if you just spontaneously, in the midst of a conversation with somebody, said, you know what? I feel compelled to bless you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It's a really uh, historic Old Testament biblical blessing. Uh, it's also something that we are each and all much in need of every day. It's used as a benediction in lots of churches. What does it mean? What does it mean for me to call out the Lord's blessing on another person? Well, first of all, it acknowledges that I know from whom blessings flow. It also says that I'm a person of faith who relies upon the Lord, recognizes that his mercies are new every morning, and that I, through my relationship with God, restored in Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit, have the ability to bless. I also have the ability to curse. So is God sending us out today to be people of blessing or people of cursing? Well, we know he's not sending us out to be people of cursing, so it must be that we're sent out to be people of blessing. What does it mean for us to speak blessing over one another? The Lord bless you and keep you. What does it mean for the Lord to keep someone? What does it mean for the Lord to have someone in his everlasting embrace? To gather us in like a hen under, under her wings to invite us uh, as Jesus invites the little children to come unto him. What does it mean for the Lord to not only bless us, but to keep us? What does it mean for the Lord to make his face to shine upon us? I mean, well, first of all, it means that we are in view of the one who always has us in view. If the Lord is able to make his face to shine upon us, then we are facing him. We're facing him. Are we facing him? Are we facing away from him? That's the ultimate question of life. Are you facing toward him or away from him? That's it. Those are your two postures. You could either be having your face toward the Lord, or you could have your back to him and your face toward something else. That's it. Those are the two postures of human reality. 
In life and in death, I belong to God. He keeps me. I am a kept woman. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Adam Holtz is up up next from Focus on the Family's Plugged In for, you know, our Friday media review. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can find what we're talking about today at PluggedIn.com. Welcome back, sir. Hello, Carmen. How are you this morning? Uh, it is well with my soul. My people are praying for me. How could I be any better? I know. That's I got fantastic. blessed. It's good. I, know, I love so that. Good. I, I know, love me that. Too. Me too. Okay, so um, Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted, as I recall, had an excellent adventure. adventure. Apparently, they are now back to face the music. They are back to face the music. This they is have a to be rel- old. They totally have to be old. Well, are they I not mean, old? old? Old gets older all the time. You know, Keanu Reeves <laughs> turned 56 yesterday. <laughs> and, you know, when I was 25, 56 seemed really old. And now but 56 now, is like, now, yeah, no. Mm-mm. Now at That's 50, I'm like, oh, he, he's just a little bit older than me. 56 is the new 36. Anyway, I digress. Uh, this is a movie about Bill and Ted, who are two guys who really – really have a tremendous friendship and they have a time traveling adventure just like they did back in 1989 and in 1991. Their mission is to come up with a song that is going to unite the universe, but their music career stalled 25 years ago. And so they're having a hard time and they hatch this plot that maybe they can steal this magical song from themselves And so they keep going into the future to try to find a version of themselves that has already written this song. And, you know, I appreciate the sort of um, lazy work they're doing. They won't actually do the work to write the song, but, you know, they're working very hard to find it in the future. Um, And meanwhile, their two daughters who are sort of like chips off the uh, respective blocks uh, realize their dads are in trouble and they go into the past to recruit all the best musicians throughout history. So, you know, starting with Jimi Hendrix and Mozart and and on and on, and they collect these people and they all end up together and have a wonderful, uniting, musical, good time. Um, Here's what I liked about this movie, even though there's a joke made at Jesus' expense that I took it as the fairly lighthearted thing that I think it was, Uh, there are various historical uh, figures who get swapped with each other throughout time. And so Jesus ends up in a rock band um, playing a cowbell, which, okay, could be sacrilegious. It didn't feel mean-spirited. It felt like a lighthearted joke. And I had a a reader take me to task for that. Um, So if you don't like that, you may not like this movie. But not much profanity, not much content. Um, it felt like kind of a throwback to kinder, gentler times. And, uh, the movie's got some really nice things to say about family and friendship. So I was, I was very pleasantly surprised, um, at where they went with this. So, uh, one of the better options out there and it is streaming online and in theaters. So take your pick. What instrument would Jesus play if he were in a band? 
Oh, man, that is the question. Um, I feel like he'd be the know? lead singer. I just feel like he'd be right out there yeah. in the front being the lead singer. I don't really see him, although, you know, he is always putting his people forward, uh, certainly right. in these days, and he therefore is certainly sort of always in the in the background and sort of the right. encouraging I one mean, to everything that we're doing. He might be the sound guy at the board mixing the whole thing. He, he no. might be. He might be the um, the person that's actually creating the rhythm. Yes. Right. Yes. He should be. We should be in our lives allowing Jesus to create the rhythm. No matter what instrument we're playing, no matter what, no matter what instrument we are in His hands, uh, we ought to be allowing Him to create the rhythm. Well, and there that brings to mind my favorite passage from the message, which is Matthew eleven twenty eight, and Eugene Peterson talks about learning the unforced rhythms of grace. And I love that line because I think okay. sometimes so that's we what try you should, hard. That's how you should respond <laughs> to the person who is critical of this and just say, you know, Matthew yeah. eleven twenty eight from the message, you know, Jesus is, uh, yeah, he may be here playing a cowbell, which probably should be more offensive to Hindus than it is to Christians, but there you go. Right. There you go. There you go. All <laughs> kinds of directions we could go. So uh, what we're trying to demonstrate to you, if you're listening, is how you actually have a robust worldview conversation about a movie as uh, silly as Bill and Ted face <laughs> the music. All right. Um, tell us, uh, you want to do The New Mutants or you want to do Tenet? we got time for one more review before we Oh, uh, let's do Tenet because okay. it's the biggest movie of the year. This oh, is wow, Christopher, okay. Nolan's, Christopher Nolan's... Um, new thriller and Christopher Nolan loves playing with time. This is a a time travel movie, but you don't know that at the start. And the gist of it is there is a secret agent type character who gradually figures out as he gets recruited into this secret kind of time traveling society, that there's a war between people in the future and people in the present with the people in the future, having decided that they need to snuff out the present. Um, but, Honestly, you sit there for two and a half hours before you completely figure out what's going on. And even then, I don't know that I have been so lost plot-wise so quickly. Uh, And if you go to Rotten Tomatoes and just read the snippet reviews there, they're pretty funny. This is a cranium-crushing movie to try to understand. There's all sorts of quantum physics as, as the characters zip back and forth and meet themselves or not meet themselves. Um... Maybe the best way to think of it is almost like a James Bond film on some sort of uh, steroid. <laughs> uh, and content-wise, um, quite a bit of violence. Most of it is pretty sanitized. It felt kind of like a superhero movie or a James Bond movie. One suggestion of torture that we don't see, but we actually know what's going on. Uh, uh, three or four pretty harsh profanities, but it's not throughout the dialogue. So didn't feel like a a boundary pushing PG 13, but definitely not one you want to take the littles to. So it's a big movie. It'll be interesting to see what it does this weekend. And, uh, it might be a movie you need to see three or four or five or 600 times to really understand. That's how I felt walking out of it. All right. Um, I have one very brief negative review, which echoes the negative review that was posted at plugged in on this series now more than a year ago. Um, But because The Boys on Amazon Prime is now teed up for its second season to start tonight, uh, it may already be available. I don't know. But let me just say to our listeners, don't no, don't go there. Don't go there. Just because it says it's about superheroes, just because it looks like it might be fun. It's about as horrible as. uh, 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 Yeah, I I got through about, um, I don't know, 
two minutes of the first episode. <laughs> yeah, two minutes. Um, and then I'm like, you know, not not no, but no, 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 no. Okay, hard, so there you go. Hard no. <laughs> Carmen's hard no on the boys, even though it looks like a superhero film. All right, we got to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Adam Holtz about curating your streaming services, not only economically but morally. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Talking with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In Ministry. You can find what we're talking about at PluggedIn.com. Hey, let's do a Plugged In um, uh, headline before we jump to the conversation about curating our streaming services. Um, what's going on with Cardi B? Why? Well, yeah, what's going on there? You know me. I well, don't know. So tell me. She has a new song out that's been number one, and it is the the letters WAP, which is an acronym for something so foul I can't even say what it is. Um, this is uh, this is a nasty song, and even though we toss around the word pornographic um, a lot, this is a song that earns that uh, that adjective. It's a pornographic song, uh, basically completely focused on singing about women's anatomy, and um, and Cardi is proud of hers and singing about it. I will say no more about that. Now, there was a, there's been a lot of conversation about whether when a woman sings about that, whether that's empowering or whether that's self-exploitation. Uh, and so I'm writing about that, and Cardi B defends her explicit hit as normal, which is on our blog. And that was the main point I wanted to make is at one point she has a quote. She says, I grew up listening to this kind of music, so other pe- to other people it might be strange and vulgar, but to me it's really almost normal. Um, and that's a that's a quote that speaks volumes because it tells us about Cardi B's worldview. And as we interact with entertainment and media, we always have to be thinking about what is it communicating about what is good, what is right, what is normal. And so for Cardi B, self-exploitation is normal. And that's the message she's delivering to her fans. Uh, it's troubling that it's a number one hit. It's troubling that... Um the kind of music that she was exposed to as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, um, obviously produced this, but it makes it reminds us that music is a powerful medium to yes. uh, to actually mold and shape our kids, which leads yep. us and, to the conversation about curating what we're listening to and watching. Yeah, that's exactly right, and you know, the idea of curating our our content. It's kind of a new thing. You know, back in the day, you didn't really curate. You would just buy a DVD, you would buy a CD, and you had it. It was available. But now with this idea of curation, uh, depending on what kind of streaming service you're on, you'll get a list of other recommendations to sort of accelerate your process of choosing. And this has become known as curating. And so curating is something that other people do for you. But it's also something that we do for ourselves. And uh, it, it really is just kind of a fancy word for choosing something, right? Uh, the, the verb to curate comes from uh, museums. You know, you're a museum curator, so it's your job to set up uh, things that are important and that complement one another. So somebody designing a museum does so very intentionally 
to communicate something really important. And right now we have all of these streaming services. There was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal about, you know, how to make the most of them. And, and this author said, you know, pick one or two that have the most stuff that you like and then subscribe and unsubscribe to the others as they have other things that pop up. And I had to kind of laugh at that. You know, we, we've complained for years that cable gives us so many choices we don't know what to do. And now we have another set of choice problems. Um, but at the core here is, is the idea of intentionality. And so are we picking things that help us to face toward Jesus, as you were talking about earlier? I love that that frame. Um, and I think that all of us have room to ask ourselves the question, how is what I'm watching and listening to affecting my sense of what's normal to con- to connect back to, to Cardi B? Um, and is it helping me to move toward Jesus or is it helping me to move toward the world and embracing values that are really fundamentally opposed to, to what he has to say. Um, so I think right now the challenge is there are so many choices that, um, we could spend all of our time curating. And in some ways I think less is more, you know, say I'm going to pick one service and I'm going to, you know, see what's there. Uh, another suggestion I would toss in maybe totally contradicting what I just said Focus on the Family, of which Plugged In is a part, has a new service called Focus at Home, and you can find that at focusonthefamily.com slash streaming. And it's basically all of the audio and visual content we've produced in the last 40 years. So uh, I think the other thing is there are Christian services out there. There's that one. Um, and you know there are a couple of different uh, streaming services that will filter out content for you. And so if you want to be wise and intentional, you can do that. There's, there's definitely a way to do that, but we have to step out of our culture's, I think, very passive model of, of consuming entertainment and make a decision to be really actively engaged in what we watch and why. Absolutely. And, um, and help our kids do the same. It's just not safe. Absolutely. There's just just nothing safe about uh, the streaming world right now. Um, All right, Adam, thank you uh, so very much, as always, for joining us. Have a great Labor Day weekend. I will do it. Thanks so much, Carmen. Absolutely. That's Adam Holt. You can find him at FocusOnTheFamiliesPluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. Ellen Vaughn is a New York Times bestselling author. Uh, She could literally, at this point, write about anything or anyone Um, And she has committed her time and energy to what I will describe as a really comprehensive biography of Elizabeth Elliot. The first portion of which is called Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. And Ellen Vaughn joins me next to talk about um, this extraordinary woman, her extraordinary life. You will remember her as a a missionary wife, um, but her early story is what's included in becoming Elizabeth Elliot and it's really uh, it's really the story of how a person is formed to then become uh, the kind of woman who we remember Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot to have been next up Ellen Vaughn we'll be right back 
right. I am, uh, I am always tasked with talking about uh, things that are coming up at MyFaithRadio.com or on the, uh, on the schedule. And so I just want to um, tee up again my colleague and friend Peter Kapsner, who is going to be hosting um, for Bill Arnold this afternoon on his program. I also want to remind you that we talked recently with my colleague and friend, Sister in Christ, Susie Larson, uh, here on our show about her brand new devotional book, Prevail, 365 Days of Enduring Strength from God's Word. Um, If you want to connect with Susie, with Bill, with the things they're writing and thinking about and saying, um, you can do so at MyFaithRadio.com. We all post stuff there on the website. And so just encourage you to check out what's happening at the website. Maybe um, if you haven't ever done so, ask us for a welcome packet. We can send you out um, some information about Faith Radio uh, and, and encourage you in that way. You could sign up for the verse of the day. We've got a prayer devotional email. Um, all kinds of great stuff, just in addition to all the resources that you can just click on. It's also the place where you can find the podcast of all of our programs and share them with someone new. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen on My Faith Radio. We'll be right back. This is Max Locato. My wife and I spent five years on a missionary team in Brazil. Our first two years felt fruitless and futile. And more often than not, I went home frustrated. So we asked God for another plan. We prayed and read the epistles. We especially focused on Galatians. When I compared our gospel message with Paul's, I saw a difference. His was high-octane good news. Mine was soured legalism. So as a team, we resolved to focus on the gospel. I did my best to proclaim forgiveness of sins and resurrection from the dead. We saw an immediate change. We baptized 40 people in 12 months, quite a few for a church of 60 members. You see, God wasn't finished with us yet. We just needed to put God's plan in place. Why don't you ask God for His plan? This is Max Lucado. Joining me now, Ellen Vaughn. She's a New York Times bestselling author. She has written or co-written 23 books. You may remember her as the former vice president of executive communications for Prison Fellowship. She collaborated with our friend Chuck Colson uh, on a number of his seminal works. Um, we just we love what she has done in the past, and I'm just excited about sharing this new book uh, that Ellen is offering to all all of us, Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. Ellen, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Carmen, thanks so much. It's great to be with you. Well, what a delight. And wow, what a great project. Um, So what would be, let's just do this, for people who, for whatever reason, have never heard the name Elizabeth Elliot, um, set up uh, for us who she was and who she is. All right. Well, people of a certain age, my age maybe, have know of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. They were missionaries in Ecuador back in the 1950s, long time ago. And they had purpose to reach an unreached people group, very violent tribe deep in the jungle. And Jim, along with four other of his missionary colleagues, ventured in to bring the gospel to this group. And they were all speared to death. 
And that became worldwide news back at that time. And Elizabeth Elliot went on and really prayed, God, if, if Jim loved these people so much to die for them, I want to go to them. Pretty unlikely prayer for a young widow with a, a small child. And eventually, by God's grace, she and Rachel Saint, sister of one of the other missionaries, ended up living in deep, deep in the Amazon jungle with the tribal people who had killed their loved ones and really modeling forgiveness and love. And eventually, many, certainly not all, in the tribe came to embrace the way of Jesus and to live in a new nonviolent way of forgiveness. It is, um, it is an extraordinary, extraordinary life and testimony and witness. Um, I, I certainly know people who, um, whose life choice has been influenced by Elizabeth Elliot. I have a cousin who is uh, on the mission field in Togo, West Africa, um, mm. Her husband, her her very young husband died there, and she's been raising her four boys there. Um, she determined to stay and love those people, um, and in no small measure because of the testimony of Elizabeth Elliot. I'm wondering um, how often you hear that kind of testimony. Well, very often. Uh, the, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot's um, lives really became a model for many who thought, you know what, I want to live radically for Christ no matter what the cost. And Elizabeth eventually did leave the jungle uh, to bring her young daughter back to the U.S. for school. And she wrote about two dozen books and became a very well-known speaker. So that part of her legacy is why many of us who are older know her story. But I wanted to introduce these, these people of great, uh, robust, radical faith to a younger generation because they they had something that I think we're in danger of losing, and that is a Christianity that's not cultural Christianity, how am I comfortable, how do I feel, but rather a pretty um, courageous obedience to what Jesus was calling them to do. You know, like your family member you just mentioned. So that's what comes through. So the book is Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. We actually have copies to give away for those of you already um, excited and energized about this subject matter. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Again, Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. Um, Ellen, it's, uh, it's too much of a story to tell in one volume. Maybe that's one way to think about why there are two volumes. But my guess is... There's another reason behind why there is a becoming Elizabeth Elliot and that it really is the beginning of a story that you still have more to tell. You are so right. I mean, first of all, no one wants to carry around a 50-pound book, which if I had told <laughs> her whole life, it might be a bit um, cumbersome. But really, I wanted to tell the story of this young woman and how she became uh, the person that many of us knew in her later years by her writings. And I think we're all in the process of becoming. And so there's a journey there that, that I found very relatable. And so that's what I wanted to communicate in this volume. The rest of the story, which has its own <laughs> lots of drama and twists and turns as well, will come later. All right. Well, you talk about it being relatable. How um, How is it that you related to parts of her early story, um, and how do you relate to Elizabeth Elliot now? 
Well, Elizabeth Elliott, for those who heard her speak, she came across as very disciplined, very severe, and sort of a person maybe that you felt didn't share the same uh, oh inadequacies or tensions that we all feel. And because I have all of her journals where she poured out her life as a young woman and wrote very passionately, very poignantly, even in the death of her husband and other losses she faced, I found a flesh and blood person I could relate to. And that's what I've tried to tell in the story of this book and, and give a feeling of, of solidarity. We are all, I think books can bring us together and we're all on the same journey and we can glean bits of encouragement and insight and humor <laughs> of, from the journeys of other saints who have gone before us. And I found Elizabeth's story really helped me as I I'm reading all these journals. I'm writing her this uh, story of her life. And my own husband's brain cancer really became severe, was about to take his life during the course of writing. And I found that the same biblical truths that had so held up Elizabeth, Ellen, uh, <laughs> Elizabeth Elliot, even as she felt so weak and tearful, held me up. And so I want the reader to take away those same truths, whatever he or she may be facing. Um, first of all, thank you for sharing that. I know that um, the stories become personal. One thing yeah. you just shared is that as a part of your research, like you had access to all of her journals, all of this personal material. That is a huge part of um, of this conversation. You and I have to take a very brief break. But Ellen, when we come back, I wonder if you will share with us sort of how all of that material uh, came to be gathered together and um, and then how this project really, uh, really got started, because the research part of this is fascinating as well. I'm talking with Ellen Vaughn. She is, among other things, the author of Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. It is the authorized biography um, of the of the woman, the Christian sister whom we all know and love. Uh, and we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Ellen Vaughn. She is the author of Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. We have copies of this fantastic book to give away, thanks to our friends over at B&H. Uh, if you would like to enter the drawing to win one of the complimentary copies we've got here, just text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Ellen, let's pick up where we left off. Let's talk about um, how... Uh, you came into the into possession of all of this material. Let's talk about the process of research and what you learned along the way. Yes, well, I was approached. I was minding my own business, doing other things, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Valerie, the wonderful Valerie Elliot Shepherd, and who is the daughter of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, was a tiny girl when she lived in the jungle with her mom, with the tribal people. Anyway, Val and Elizabeth Elliot's dearest friend. Uh, who had been asked to steward Elizabeth's uh, journals and, and really her legacy. And they approached me about writing this authorized biography. So uh, it was a, a wonderful opportunity that I embraced with a big hooray. And so uh, Valerie and her husband drove a truck to my house full of all of these journals and correspondence and and the sort of intimate scribblings of a great evangelical leader of the 20th century. And 
the journal Start at age eight. That one's written all in pencil in the young Elizabeth Elliot's uh, little girl handwriting. It says, no boys allowed. And uh, then the journals get a little more mature after that and go on uh, through decade after decade of her life, just a life unfolding on paper in front of me. And so that was a very kind of a heavy stewardship, if you know what I mean, It, the sense of I see this life unfolding and I know how her story is going to end. And as she's writing these pages, she doesn't know. And Carmen, what it brought to my mind was the verse from Psalm 139 that says, Oh, Lord, you knew uh, all, all of my days that were even before one of them came to be. They were all written in your book. And I think about God having all of our days uh, known to him, even as we live them out one by one by one. So that was really a cosmic sort of feeling with these journals. I should add, Elizabeth died in 2015, so she's no longer with us. And the second thing was I, I went deep into the Amazon jungle to, to be with the Waodani, the indigenous people group who so many years ago had killed Jim Elliott and the other great missionaries. And there are two men who are still alive who, who had participated in the killing of the missionaries. And I got to tell you, spending those days in the jungle, first of all, I am not necessarily nature girl, and there was no electricity, no plumbing, no uh, anything. We had to wear hats on our heads at night so the vampire bats would not nibble away at our, our heads. And um, uh, the hunters would go and bring monkey or a giant pig or a big rodent back and, and cook it up for dinner each night. So at any rate, I was sitting with Minkai, and he's one of the men who, who killed Jim Elliott, and he has come to follow Jesus, and we do not speak the same language. But to sit with this brother and to see the love on his face and to realize, oh my goodness, the the Lord has a has a plan that he is doing beyond our ability to see. Uh, God does not exist in time like we do. All we see is these days unfolding on our calendar. But God is at work in huge dimensions that are beyond our comprehension. And so I had a bit of a time travel experience sitting with Minkai. He made me a spear, and he's sharpening that spear as a gift. And I think of all those decades ago, him in anger and hatred, sharpening a spear to kill the, the missionaries. And only God can do those kinds of miracles in, in Minkai's heart or my heart or anybody's heart. So the research for the book was absolutely life-giving, and I tried to communicate some of that in the story I wrote. Which is beautifully told, and um, just it's just so well communicated. Uh, I think that if your goal was not only to honor the life of this extraordinary sister in Christ— but to have her story be um, foundational as others are, as you said earlier, you know, we're all right now becoming who we're going to be. Um, mm -hmm. And it, if if you've written with the purpose of um, not only communicating her story, but speaking into the becoming stories of others, then I think you have achieved your goal. 
Well, Carmen, that's a great way to to articulate it. And and I think, too, I wanted to in these times in which we're living, you know, so fragmented, so alienated, so divisive in so many different ways. And if there was ever a time for followers of Jesus to look to him, not to look to the voices of other people or to look inside, how do I feel? But to to really seek obedience to Christ and his love. Uh, in this culture in which we're living and in a church that needs revival. I feel like Elizabeth Elliot, for me, was a helpful lighthouse almost toward the things that are so important in our own our own days right now that we're living. So as um, as folks are facing what they're facing today and you're facing what you're facing in your own life and family, and I am doing so as well, is there um is there something uh maybe uh maybe a vignette from becoming Elizabeth Elliot that comes to mind that you think would be of encouragement to listeners today? Sure. Some of the things that are throughout the book are recurring themes as well as vignettes. And so the Elizabeth Elliot is well known for some very simple wisdom that has helped me immensely. And that is when we are in the midst of anxiety, in the midst of impossible situations. The simplest and most practical thing to do is say, oh, Lord, show me what is the next thing. And so my mantra these days is, oh, Lord, just show me what's the next right thing I need to do. In the aftermath of Jim Elliott's horrific death, uh, Elizabeth had a, a, a million different responsibilities all pressing in on her. And she just determined, what's the, Lord, speak to me, whisper to me in my pain. What is the next thing that you would have me do? And she always didn't look, as I've said um, several times, not to her feelings, but to hear the voice of God and then to, to determine whatever you want me to do, I will do it. And so... I, when I break down my crazy days, and I'm sure you're having crazy days, and it's overwhelming to look at the whole, but if I'm seeking, Lord, show me this hour, what would you have me do? Who do you want me to call? How do I fulfill this responsibility? When we break it up into manageable chunks, the Holy Spirit will give us what we need to do what God would have us do. And that's a great comfort. It's very liberating, actually. It's very liberating, indeed. Um, Ellen, I hope that um, not only will you enjoy the success of this book, Becoming Elizabeth Elliot, but that you'll come back um, when when the second volume uh, uh, is published as well. Well, Carmen, thank you. I live that long. <laughs> Amen. Amen. May the Lord uh, may the Lord grant it. All right, that yes. is Ellen Vaughn author of Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, if you would like to enter the drawing to win one of the copies we have here in studio, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Ellen, thank you. And listeners, we'll be right back. All right. I want to um, walk off today by uh, encouraging you to join me in rooting for Finnick the Fierce. Finnick the Fierce is going to run tomorrow in the 2020 version of the Kentucky Derby, which I don't think it's supposed to be this late in the year normally, but here we go. Finnick the Fierce. Uh, he drew the number one post position. He is a 50-to-1 long shot. Uh, his, uh, his 
Those who know him best are praying for rain because Finnick the Fierce likes to run in the mud. Um, the pole position is a dangerous one for him. And I lift Finnick the Fierce up because he's a one-eyed horse. Finnick the Fierce lost his uh, right eye to a congenital uh, cataract with which he was born. He is uh, a beautiful chestnut. Uh, he is strong. He's an overcomer. He takes it one day at a time. Um, he has so many things in the story of Finnick the Fierce. I mean, a children's book must of necessity be written about Finnick the Fierce. Uh, and I guess I hope that it is a story that has uh, an extraordinary highlight, which might include uh, that he wins the Kentucky Derby. There you go. There you go. I don't know. I don't often talk about such things, but uh, I feel compelled. I'm rooting for Finnick the Fierce. Who's an overcomer you're rooting for this weekend, and how does the uh, overcoming in Christ compel you forward today? Have a great weekend, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.